0: This is Movies, a podcast by the Active Cinema. With me today, of
1: course, it's Hans. Were you just picking your nose? No, just the top. I have a lot of blackheads that I'm dealing with right now. How do you like to get rid of your (laughs) blackheads, Hans? I just squeeze them in front of the mirror until it hurts. But do you use your
0: fingernails? You don't
1: use an extractor? You
0: don't use some other device?
1: What, what, like those strips that just pull everything out? The Korean strips, the Japanese
0: strips. Yeah, that's that's kind of effective, but it's not the most effective manner of pulling those blackheads out. But you know who my favorite dermatologist is? Is Detective Wolfman. Welcome back to the show. How do you like to remove your blackheads, Detective Wolfman?
2: Well, frankly, I haven't had a blackhead in a long time. But uh, whenever I'm uh, getting some kind of blemish, I usually get a Q-tip rub a little alcohol on it to dry it out faster and it sorts itself out
0: that is a good method of doing that see i just use neutrogena soap Mm -hmm. which essentially the acid in that does that exact same thing although i'm sorry did you say you put rubbing alcohol on an open wound that seems very uncomfortable (laughs) i was gonna say
1: i I pick it first i squeeze the blood out first and then i put some alcohol on it so it dries out
2: but I'm, I'm talking about doing this without opening the wound, just like if, oh. I, if like if I'm getting a zit, I'll start rubbing alcohol on it because it speeds up the process. And like basically the oil and the dirt and the pore will harden and it will be and this is gross, but it'll basically just push itself out. And and the whole the whole process, it takes like one third of the time than if you just let it sort itself out naturally
1: well weren't you talking uh the last on no, the episode of viewing David we did about how you really like watching dr P- pimple popper videos oh i used to i i was way into it
0: before but now i don't really tune into it so much but i don't mind it i've grown desensitized to seeing lipomas cut open and that's like a tumor under the skin that's yeah. usually yellow and it's got a very jello sort of texture to it and it doesn't quite pop open but if you do pop it open It looks like egg yolk inside like a hard-boiled eggs egg yolk it's pretty disgusting it's pretty horrible but i did have a year in my early teens i think i was 13 years old where i just had a lump on my nose for six or seven months and then finally my mom was just she couldn't bear the sight of me anymore she said we're cutting that thing open And um, they cut it open, and it was just yellow pus that ran out. But, man, it was such a relief to get rid of that lump on my nose. I felt You had a tumor on your nose? I guess I did. Just a cyst full of mayo? It was was not mayo. It looked like a runny egg Benedict. It was fucking disgusting. So, tonight we're talking about werewolves. Teen Wolf would have been an appropriate film for this subject matter, I think. Uh, But I'll tell you what. I did watch Teen Wolf this year. And I said, "What was all the fuss about? I don't understand what the hype about Teen Wolf is. Every- What's the movie on everyone's tongue, Teen Wolf? I don't yeah. get it."
2: Oh, okay. I'm glad you brought this up, Lowres, because I was I was going to because I've I've been doing a I've been going through the backlog of your guys' stuff and yeah, just diff- different episodes that I haven't listened to yet. And I I heard maybe it was a recent one, but I heard you mention you watched Teen Wolf and that you didn't like it. Now. I can understand not liking it, but you didn't, you didn't find it to be a surprisingly good comedy.
0: No, I didn't. I I I just, I did not enjoy it at all. I was like, I was waiting for the fun to happen and I did not have any fun at all. I probably would have had more fun finding an archive.org VHS upload of, what was it called? Soul man, soul brother. Who was the one to see Thomas Howell. He should have been teen wolf. Then that could have been a blast. Which one's Soul Man? Soul Man is like exactly like Teen Wolf, but it's affirmative action instead of a werewolf.
1: Right, I thought you were talking about the it's um, Blackface, the samuel L. Jackson Bernie Mac Soul Man movie. Really it's a title that's Soul? been used
0: a lot. There was a Dan Aykroyd short lived sitcom where he played a priest called Soul Man as well. Yeah, I
2: remember that.
1: Oh, you're talking about this Soul Man.
2: yeah! damn they fully embraced it they
1: really leaned into that
0: huh yeah boy
1: is that directed by spike lee yeah what a time (laughs) to be
0: alive wow i hope that was a big hit at the box office i can't imagine um any other film making c thomas howell's career quite like soul man
1: that's insane he made 27 million in 86 and it probably had a budget of like a million two i bet you
2: And that's not that but that's not factoring in all the young urban youths who snuck in without paying (laughs) right
0: finally relatable character on screen is what they're right
2: finally representation
0: yeah they give him an
1: afro and everything that's you
0: just saw him with a watermelon in a pimp outfit
1: and you're surprised by an afro (laughs) Yeah, when you wear a hat you can disguise it a little bit better, I guess. So is is it... I know nothing about this movie. I think you might have mentioned it before because his face with that makeup looks very familiar. But what's the setup of the movie? Is he just is he supposed to be a soul man to call it some way? Or is he someone wearing that makeup no, that gets I...
2: found out? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it all the way through. I just remember catching bits of it on TV back when I was a kid, back when they could still show it. But uh, I think, I think, yeah, he's like a young guy trying to get into college, yeah. And he, yeah, he can't because he's white. He's trying to get into like, I, I don't know if it's an all black school or what, but yeah, but he basically fakes being black to get a better college education.
0: They could remake that now and keep it diversity forward by casting mm-hmm. an Asian
2: mm-hmm. as
0: the soul, as the C. Thomas Howell. You could get simi Lou as soul man in there and i think it would work just as well now as it did back in 1986
2: well, and you could spell it you could spell it soul like south korea oh my god this <laughs> so is it's brilliant. double entendre
0: god damn detective wolfman that's that's the most brilliant idea we've heard on this show since giving kenny a dating show that's amazing hey, that's a great look, idea
2: look man I've, I've been saying it for years like i should be I mean, I guess you would call this a producer. I don't know. But like uh, John Peters, that maniac, I could do that guy's job. I've got ideas for days.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the movie we're talking about tonight is quite a fun film of the 1980s. And I do think it's actually one of the many, or not even many, it's definitely an overlooked Stephen King adaptation, whenever people are talking about the best ones, they talk about The Shining, they talk about Misery, they talk about Stand By Me. But the adaptation of Cycle of the Werewolf is not one that frequently comes up in conversation. And I think it is a, it toes the line very well of being a fun horror movie and just a generally good 80s film. And especially for, for Corey Haim here. And for mm-hmm. Gary Busey. Gary Busey was he was past his prime probably at this point, or very close to that. Was this before or after the motorcycle accident that would render him
2: brain
1: damaged? Well before, because he could say a sentence, right?
2: Well, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure there were multiple motorcycle accidents. <laughs> so I this might not be this might be after one, but mm. it's definitely it's before the coup de gras. It was
1: 88, um, the accident, Or oh, he died for so, two hours.
0: Okay, yeah, so this is before that. Interesting. Okay, so, you know, I've seen Gary Busey on talk shows, too, following that accident. I believe I saw him on Johnny Carson talking about it, mm-hmm. and he was very measured. He was very normal. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it was just the accident that ruined him. I think it was a lot of damage from cocaine as well yeah
2: yeah, that
1: well, doesn't help well I'm he sure. had
2: he had a lot of uh yeah like alcohol and coke problems in addition to the and probably contributed to the motorcycle crashes yeah yeah
0: Busey, I, I think is very underrated as an actor especially early Busey. oh yeah the buddy holly story i mean he's great in so many films and he was in big wednesday the john millius mm-hmm. surfer flick as well so i mean gary yeah, Busey's uh,
2: straight time mm-hmm. um he shows up for a little bit in Thunderbolt and Lightfoot.
0: That's right. Uh, yep.
2: But yeah, like he, like when in, in his youth, uh, yeah, he had a lot of, he had a lot of like really good roles, and like really good, like character supporting roles.
0: Also fantastic in Point Break. Oh yeah. So Predator
2: 2. Yeah. He's really good
0: villain in that. Got tons of hits under his belt. Uh, celebrity Big Brother winner, Gary Busey, the oldest oh. Big Brother winner, I think, <laughs> as well. Uh, everyone hated him because he kept shitting, and they had to edit out him, like, grabbing women, you know? And then oh, the man. audience just saw everyone getting very annoyed with Gary Busey. and uh, Why? Because he's 75? No, it's because he's a retarded pervert, and he's disgusting. But then the audience was like, we feel bad for this guy. Let's Let's push him to the win, and he won. So he's a renaissance man, this Gary Busey.
2: He's a soul man.
0: <laughs> He's a soul man. That's right. uh Hans, is this your first time watching Silver Bullet? Yes. Hmm.
1: Wow. But hold on. Are you guys familiar with Gary Busey, Pet Judge? Get-
0: Gary Busey, Pet, pet Judge. Pet Judge. Oh wait, yeah. this was his COVID show, right? Those of pet disputes, those who want their cases tried by the best know there's only one man they can turn to
2: and he is thirsty for justice
1: why does it look like there's two different faces on his face (laughs) you see how this side is so much lower than the other side
2: because that's the side that got dragged across the pavement at 100 miles miles an hour
0: (laughs) (laughs) gary busey's reality tv career is really something to admire and he was one of the early ones to get Mm -hmm. in on reality television with I'm with Busey. It was a comedy central show.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I remember
0: that. He also did two Celebrity Apprentice stints, and those happened to be the two best seasons. And my favorite aspect of any time he was on Celebrity Apprentice was Donald Trump trying to justify why he would not fire Gary (laughs) Busey that week. Because it would always come back to, (laughs) well, wouldn't you say he'd like address like, Piers Morgan. Piers, wouldn't you say that Gary's kind of a genius in his own way? Wouldn't you agree that Gary's kind of a genius? And Piers would just be like, "Yeah, yeah, I, I, he's a unique individual." You know, everyone would just try to get around it while trying to get him fired because nobody wanted him on the team. Uh, I'm a big fan of Gary Busey, the man, the actor, the legend. Uh, he's great and everything, but he's especially great here, and he reminds me of so many uncles of mine. Dude, in exactly. Silver Bullet.
2: Yeah, I was, I was gonna say part of the part of my love for this movie definitely stems from my childhood cuz it's it's one of those movies that was just always there. I don't remember the first time I saw it. Um but uh yeah, Uncle Red is like a is like an insane composite of several of my uncles and an older cousin that I have. Uh he's like some of my uncles in the sense that like I I had a few uncles who, you know, were booze hounds and womanizers like uncle red, but in terms of just like the personality, like how jovial he is, how good he is with kids, like how much like spark and energy he has. He reminds me of an older cousin that I have who, uh, lived in another state and he would always come home for Thanksgiving. And every time he came home, it was like, it was an event. (laughs) Yeah. And he was like, he was always really good with me and my older brother. I think he was like 10 years older than us. Uh, So he was, he was like, even when he wasn't an adult, he was always an adult to us, you know? Uh, But yeah, just like such a blast to be around. And yeah, like a bigger, larger than life guy like Uncle Red.
0: Yeah, he reminds me of my uncle who was a crackhead and robbed drug dealers (laughs) and dressed up as a cop and then would come around and give me Happy Meals or Egg McMuffins. And I'd be like, oh, wow, you're the best uncle ever, Uncle Dave. And uh, that was my experience. Hans, we were just talking about on the last episode of B-Bang how you don't have any, like, alcoholic or crazy relatives in that way.
1: No, boring. Really boring. Just uh, uh, conflict is more like family stuff, nothing like substance abuse or anything like that. Everyone's very normal, surprisingly. Um, I was reading, because I I was looking into this movie after I saw it today, and apparently most of his lines were ad-libbed.
0: Oh, you can totally believe that, it's, 100%.
1: It's which just scary. makes it so much better, because it's like he's so close to this character that he... That's why it seems so natural, because he just came up with most of the lines that, that the character said. You know what I it, just learned uh, from researching
0: the show is Don Coscarelli started directing this movie, which I had no idea. Um, and I believe he's best known for Phantasm, the Phantasm series. Uh, I would not have garnered that at all from watching this, but it does make sense because I I do think this is a very quality horror film, very eerie horror film at moments, and it rides the line of eerie and comedy so well, even though the comedy is reserved to Gary Busey. And the world-building that takes place with, with, with I think the town's called Tarker's Mills. Mm -hmm. Uh, They accomplish so much in letting you understand what that town is like within a short period of time. This is not that long of a movie, but you get a sense of what the type of person is that lives there, you know the general town dynamics in place. And you also have a very good understanding of the family dynamic for uh, Marty and Jane, who are the lead characters. Marty's played by Corey Haim, and he's a crippled boy, and Jane is his older sister.
1: Um... strongest crippled boy i've ever seen <laughs> he's got the strongest arms ever he climbs out of his window which is in the second floor and he just uses his arms to get to the first floor so he can get on his bike i think it was like a little monkey
2: that was very impressive it's he gets in his motorized wheelchair oh right yeah that the he, silver
1: bullet yeah he didn't get the bike yet I think it was early in the movie. And then also there's a couple of scenes where they just find him climbing trees and his wheelchair is below him. It's just like, what is this monkey boy here with the strongest arms I've seen in a 10 year old. Wolfman, when did you discover silver bullet? Uh, well, like I said, it's one of those movies that was just
2: kind of always there. Um, I remember, I just remember watching it very young. I don't really remember the first time. Um, but uh, I remember, I think it was one of those movies, Maybe I feel like maybe my parents didn't want me to watch it because most of my memories watching it were at my, uh, my aunt's house and she was very lenient about the movies we could watch. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was, it was just always there and definitely uh, in- informative in my uh, life and personality. And it was one of the few movies as a kid, because I always loved monster movies, but this is one of the few even horror movies that actually scared me when I was little and I could never put my finger on it until I became an adult. Uh, one of the main reasons is because the insides of all the homes looked like the insides of all the homes that I grew up in, like my home, all my, my aunts and uncles and cousins, they all, you know, cause I was, I was born in 85 uh, and nobody in my family had anything new. So I grew up around a lot of like seventies furniture and appliances and like all the houses had that, that Brown wood paneling. They had like deer heads on the wall. They had those like two piece lamps where it's like two round parts, one on the bottom and one on the top with like the, the, the flower art on them. It was, yeah, just all all the interiors look so familiar, but also the exteriors. This was shot uh, in uh, North Carolina And I don't live in North Carolina, but I guess there's like similar flora because a lot of movies you watch and there's like a forest and it's clearly just like a California forest that's very well manicured. There's lots of space between the trees and all that, but like the the trees and the bushes and the way the neighborhoods are all very wooded looks a lot like where I grew up. And so it felt like this could happen where I lived.
0: Yeah, I think my first experience watching *Silver Bullet* was probably on one of these basic cable channels. Whenever they're doing a Halloween marathon, I don't think it was AMC. I feel like maybe I had watched it in the mid '90s, possibly rented it from a video store. Because mm. when I when I was a uh, when I was a boy, when I was given permission to watch scary movies, whenever I would go to Blockbuster, I would rent three or four horror movies at a time, and maybe this was one of them. It was very early on, though, that I was exposed to this film. And um, I had also – did you happen to read the novella by any chance, Wolfman?
2: Oh, yeah, I've got it.
0: You've got it. What did, what did you make of the novella? Because I revisited it today. It's very short. Mm-hmm. And I think it mostly does stick to what takes place in the movie. They're, they're pretty well aligned. But I think the movie actually handles everything with the story – much better than the
2: book oh yeah i mean the book the book there's really i mean the the story in the book is very thin because each Mm. chapter is a different month and it's from the pov of a different victim Mm. and so there's not a lot of through line like the marty character i think he shows up in two chapters i think he shows up like in the fourth of july and then at the end uh and his really his only significance is that he's like the one character that survives the werewolf and kills him at the end. Um, But uh, I mean, the the book itself is, I mean, it's cool. It's a fun read. It's very quick. The art uh, by Bernie Wrightson, the illustrations are incredible. Um, It's some of my favorite artwork still to this day. Um, But yeah, like the, the movie is a great adaptation. It adds a lot more like the uncle red character, is basically an invention of Gary Busey. Like, what's on the page of him in the book is just that he's Marty's like cool uncle. You know, mm-hmm. you don't really get a, a sense of his personality. Um, but one thing, one thing that I like about it is in the in the opening chapter where they basically introduce the werewolf. I like the sense of like fate and nature that comes with it. And if you don't mind, uh, I'd just like to read a little bit. By all uh, means. It's page 14 in the first chapter. It says, This is after he's killed uh, Arnie Westrom. Um, it says, Something inhuman has come to Tarker's Mills, as unseen as the full moon riding the night sky high above. It is the werewolf. And there is no more reason for its coming now than there would be for the arrival of cancer or a psychotic with murder on his mind or a killer tornado. Its time is now, its place is here in this little main town where baked bean church suppers are a weekly event where small boys and girls still bring apples to their teachers, where the nature outings of the senior citizens club are religiously reported in the weekly paper. Next week there will be news of a darker variety uh, outside. Uh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But basically it ends. The cycle of the werewolf has begun. And I, I love how there's no explanation of how the werewolf became the werewolf You don't get an origin story because none of that matters what matters is the immediate threat of this thing
0: you're right they never delve into the traditional werewolf lore or any sort of explanation it just is it's just you have to accept it on its face this is a werewolf especially with silver bullet this is a werewolf movie period end of story and Hans here, if you're in the $5 tier on patreon.com slash low or maybe I'm feeling generous and upload this to YouTube, is pulling up some illustrations.
2: Yes. Yeah, so Hans, a-
0: do you want to just uh, give a, a verbal illustration of what is on the screen here for our audio uh, listeners?
1: So big chunky werewolf has a cook on a in a diner by the throat. Um, I really like this one, though, the one where he's ripping the face of a, cop inside of the cop car um but yeah it seems like for each month they did an illustration i believe
2: mm-hmm. yeah each each full moon
1: yeah it's really cool
0: that's very a cab of you hans that's
1: exactly <laughs> what i would expect <laughs> i think it's the most violent one though uh or the most graphic one well, that's not that's uh, pretty it's pretty gruesome yeah uh, there was something there that wasn't that's not for what a big red dog
0: dick is that what you're looking for is that what you're <laughs> yeah. browsing through these for Hans um, Hans what what did you think of this movie compared to a lot of Stephen King movies obviously we talk about his filmography quite a lot on this show I just did Jack the Perfume Nationalist show where we talked about three variations of The Shining oh, and yeah. Doctor Sleep so I mean half of that is just straight up turds <laughs> um and I also think we should yeah. yeah go on
1: no go ahead uh, i think we should do a i kind of want to rewatch that um not because i think i will like it this time but just because the version that i watched was very not the greatest quality not that it needs it but uh i think maybe we, we should revisit it i just want to make you watch it again maybe that's episode uh, 300 <laughs> yeah we're just you're watching Doctor this is Steve.
0: 299 Wolfman, you came so close to episode three hundred here.
2: Oh wow! I don't know if I should—I don't know if I should uh, be honored or feel slighted.
0: <laughs> well, you're more than—if we do Doctor Sleep, you're more than welcome to hop in for Doctor Sleep.
2: Uh, yeah, right. hell yeah! I haven't seen it, but I'll watch it.
0: All right, mm-hmm. all right then—that—that's that. We just—we <sighs> gave away the next that's episode that. here. It's gonna be Doctor Sleep. Um, oh. Man, there's two versions of Doctor Sleep. There's Doctor Sleep the theatrical cut, and then there's Doctor Sleep the director's cut. And I bought the Blu-ray, because it was like a Black Friday, Thanksgiving sale. Amazon will often sell their Blu-rays for about $5, $6. I go, all right, maybe, maybe if I buy it, I'll force myself to like it. Mm. And that didn't work. No, I still just saw it as a total piece of shit. And I found all of the points of the movie that were most egregious to me were just as egregious, if not more so on this go around. There's certain things about it that I like. I like the premise of Dr. Sleep, but I just, I, Mm-mm. it's not, it's not good. And it's not for me. I don't like it, Mike Flanagan.
2: It's such a, it's such a shame. Cause like, I remember when I was younger, I guess like a young teen and I was getting into like, I'd always liked movies, but I was getting into like film appreciation, you know, and I was starting to watch like independent movies and I was becoming like a movie guy. Uh, and I remember like watching Train Spotting because that was the that was the indie movie that was the edgy shit that I could get a hold of. And I was a the hugest fan of you and McGregor for a really long time. And that poor bastard, pretty much since Star Wars, like I don't really think has made anything great. I feel like he's basically just been wasted ever since then.
0: I think that's a pretty accurate description of how his career has gone the only thing that sticks out to me as being good is probably the train spotting sequel that i still haven't seen that it's it's solid it feels very 2016 which i think weirdly kind of works for what that movie is Mm -hmm. um and not even necessarily in a political way 2016 although there's a touch of that and it hardly a touch of that but it's in there but I was reading Irvine Welsh's fourth Train Spotting book, which is called Dead Man's Dead Man's Pants, Dead Man's Trousers. Shit. Excuse me,
2: I didn't even know there was a third.
0: Yeah, he did a book called Skag Boys in 2012. It's a prequel to Train Spotting, and it okay. takes place in the 1980s. And I didn't think that one was particularly good. I did think his immediate sequel to it, Porno, was solid. And Train Spotting Two takes quite a good chunk of that book but then they do their own thing with it and um now he's just kind of wacky as a writer like begbie is dexter essentially like he moved to los angeles and assumed a new identity and he's got a wife and he's an artist and it's just like just make a new character don't transform that character beyond any sort of believability just do something different here yeah um but i was reading his his last train spotting book here and um it has a lot of that vibe of 2016, 2017 to it. It was published in 2018 and it embraces that moment the same way that the movie does. And I think it, it, I don't know, it, there's just something about it that fits, that works in continuity with that. But as far as and McGregor goes, yeah, he's very hot and cold. Fargo season three. I I couldn't really finish that for a number of different reasons when he certainly didn't help there. With mm. Dr. Sleep, I didn't mind his casting as Danny Torrance, as the adult Danny Torrance, but mm. he fucking ate it. He sucked. I mean, he, he what has he done that's been actually exceptional, that's been, that's been
1: good? I was looking at his IMDb. Uh, he's in Black Hawk Down, but I don't remember him in that. I don't know how big his role was. See, that's he was, one.
2: He was fine in that, but that's like he, they basically after other than Star Wars other than Star Wars like every other movie he's been in since then he's playing an American mm-hmm. and he has yeah. a terrible American accent. <laughs> like they they won't let him use his normal voice anymore. Uh yeah, doesn't know.
1: he have like a bad southern accent in Big Fish?
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. See, I
2: guess that's like I I don't particularly love him in that movie uh i think i mean if if you if you're into like whimsical shit i think that's like a decent blip on his and tim burton's career uh like a little uptick in what they were doing but uh but yeah i I haven't seen that in a long time i might hate it now
1: (laughs) yeah everything else is at least on imdb under seven which is not a uh you know proof of quality but Nothing that I, I, I see here recognizes, like, decent. Well, uh, I just pulled up.
0: I pulled up the list here, and we've got films like Mordecai and A Million Ways to Die in the West. Oh. So his standards lowered immediately as soon as he started doing American films. I forgot he had done I Love You, Philip Morris, which was the gay prison escape comedy with Jim Carrey. Did either of you see that? No. no. That was i don't i don't even know how to really talk about that one. moulin rouge there you go that was his last good film moulin rouge 25 years 27 29 years ago so he's horrible um he (laughs) should just retire at this point
1: (laughs) well what Uh, is he even playing now just older the same character but older
2: he played obi-wan again in that fucking show
1: oh that's right yeah
0: well he was the he was jiminy cricket in guillermo del toro's pinocchio that was good that's criterion worthy oh birds of prey jesus christ i forgot he was in birds of* and he was the bad guy the bad guy yeah uh it's a very
1: sad trajectory he has gone down but well is it though because if you look at his filmography you have train spotting
2: well, I mean, is this a, is this a scenario cuz I don't you know, I don't know I don't know anything about Ewan McGregor, but is this a scenario where he's like big in theater and that's like his passion and he just does this shit to to pay for his life? Cuz if that's the case, then good for him. But if like if this is all the acting he's doing, I know he's got to feel like uh I'm sure he must yearn for like the you know, the artist experience.
0: I Don't think so. I think this is it. I haven't seen anything with him, uh, you know, pop up on Broadway or or anything. I think he's living a very cozy life out in Los Angeles, and he had some excitement cheating on his wife with Mary Elizabeth Winstead and getting her to dump Riley Stearns, who is a decent director. He directed a pretty funny movie called The Art of Self-Defense.
1: Oh, great, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that was actually a response to her cheat, like his coping mechanism for being cheated on oh, wow. uh, being dumped for you and McGregor. But uh, it, yeah, no. And I don't even think that worked out. I think they broke up already. So no, I think this is it for him. I think he's just stuck. He's stuck as a handsome older guy, but he doesn't have a whole lot of range or they at least don't give him something with, with, you know, bite to it. The most interesting thing he's probably done from this list. And I haven't even seen it is Halston. You know, I I watched maybe two episodes of that, and it was okay. It wasn't really for me. Uh, Jack said it's horrible, and he's horrible in it. I'm mm. one to trust Jack's opinion on that. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it, it, it's kind of the fate he deserves though for taking such generic shit.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I guess that at a certain point, you know, those guys. I mean, even 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 a lot of guys that you think are like bigger, they still they still kind of just have to take what comes in the mail, you know, Mm -hmm. like,
0: I mean, what's the alternative here is maybe you're Robert Carlyle and you're living in England and you just have to take every single BBC procedural that's offered to you. Yeah,
2: that's that's uh, that's honestly a worse fate.
0: I think Uh, so, too. There's really for as bad as everything is that comes out of Hollywood that they throw these guys. These Ewan McGregor types. The procedurals in England are some of the worst entertainment on the planet. Like the least, it is just like the most void of creativity. I watched, on the note of Irvine Welsh, I watched his miniseries Crime, which was based on one of his books. I read the book in the 90s. And his writing is just so full of character and they're all disgusting, dirty people throughout Mm. any book. And I would recommend a movie called Filth with James McAvoy. I've seen Mm. that. Uh, What'd you think of Filth? Uh,
2: I enjoyed it. Uh, I'd never read that book. I'd only read Train Spotting and Glue. Um, But I... uh, I mean, yeah, it was one... I I enjoyed the movie, but I felt... Like, I felt felt gross watching it. Like, I felt like scum. (laughs) Uh, Like, you definitely... I definitely felt like I needed a... I needed a shower when it was over.
0: And that movie, I think, I don't know if you could do that movie now with how sensitive everybody is to the trans and cross-dressing thing and that being like a, a twisted little like kink to that lead character and a big reveal of the movie. But uh, I, I think that movie did a, did a good job of distancing itself from any sort of train-spotting aesthetic while also drawing from Irvine Welsh's writing. So with Crime, they released this on like Channel 4, one of their big networks in the UK. And I signed up for BritBox just to watch it for a a month. And it was literally every single UK sitcom is shot with, I, I, I couldn't even tell you what camera. It's probably just an Ari Alexa, but they make it look like the most standard basic DSLR shit. It's white walls. It's very plain dialogue that's fake, edgy. Like the racist guy on the show says, "Person of color," Uh you know, (laughs) you know, it's just like, come on,
1: like a real racist, yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's just so bad, and like everyone is, I think it's just the lack of quality with the writing as well, because the lead guy is this actor Dougray Scott, who's decent, but the writing is horrible, and Mm -hmm. so like his performance is marred by that and everything he's saying sounds so stupid even if he's conveying a great deal of emotion that reads as believable and the other thing too that really gets on my nerves if you're doing a crime procedural where somebody is dead is when a person dies their jaw drops they're there they unhinge their jaw there's no, you don't die with your fucking like that, you know? Yeah. And this show couldn't even get that right. And as soon as a piece of media has a dead person with their mouth closed, I'm like, I'm out on this. This is bullshit. <laughs> this is fucking fake. So <clears throat> it, it was not a very good series, and I guess they're continuing it for series two.
1: Well, it's, it's a lot of just trying to be gritty coming from someone that didn't live that life or has any experience in that life, right? Or is, isn't created enough to make something as creatively uh interesting or believable so instead you're left with characters acting tough but nothing that comes out of their mouth seems tough and their actions are just kind of um csi tough i guess where it's just it's very safe but it's it's shot in a very Grey British and it's London. It's like okay, okay we understand that the setting is London. London hasn't really been scary for like thirty years, mm-hmm. so they they um lean too much on that uh instead of coming up with you know characters that actually do ruthless stuff and like criminals that you would be afraid of. And in, instead, they're just very. Verbal instead of with actions, but they also can't be offensive. So then it's just like a very stoic look and and acting tough. But then, like you said, say person of color. So then, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that takes away from from any type of threat that you might feel from the character. And at the end, it's just this is just a, a fancy British man acting tough. It doesn't feel real or believable. Did uh, did you guys ever watch Ripper Street? No, that sounds familiar to me though.
2: Uh, It it started out as a BBC show, and then Amazon bought it and finished it. But it was on Netflix for a while. But it's like it's a police procedural, but it's in Victorian England in Whitechapel, and it basically it takes place after the Jack the Ripper killings have gone cold, and it's clear that like H Division in Whitechapel is not going to solve that murder, and it's basically like the further cases of that police division. Uh, I really liked it. It's got, um, it, it definitely has some episodes that are very, uh, like eye-rollingly progressive. Cause I mean, it's England, but yeah. even, even with that, I think the show overall is a lot of fun, but it's got, uh, it's got that British actor, uh, uh, his name escapes me right now, but he's on the succession show.
1: Matthew McFadden. Yeah. Yeah. McFadden. Matthew McFadden. He's, the, he's
2: the main guy. Yeah. It's got, a. Uh, Jerome Flynn, the guy who played Braun in uh, Game of Thrones, he's in it. Um,
1: the guy from Harry Potter is in it.
2: Oh, like uh, half the ca- <laughs> half the cast of Game of Thrones shows up in in the over the course of the series.
1: Robin Hood from the BBC, Robin Hood that I mentioned in the last episode. Oh, in wow, it. Robin Hood, the Robin Hood, amazing. Uh, so this is a recommend. Uh, yeah,
2: I re- I really dug it, if, especially if you like that era. If you don't like Victorian England it is probably not for you. Um I really enjoyed it, I will say. Like the first season is just very case of the week. Uh by season 2 they start getting into like like plot like season arcs and shit like that. Uh but I dug it. It definitely has its flaws. It's not a perfect show, but it's like uh it's kino.
1: Oh, yeah, that's Tom, what's his name, from Succession, and Wham- something like that? Wamsgums. Wham- <laughs> <Wham-S-Gums-Bur->
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. He has a great character arc on that show. He was my favorite by the end yeah. of it. He uh, he's fantastic. Movie. So it's only a matter of time before Silver Bullet gets a, gets a remake, I'm thinking. I was and thinking that today. It's kind of shocking they haven't, thought to go back to it just yet but it doesn't stick out as one of the most popular pet cemetery maybe clouds over it a bit in that Mm -hmm. regard and we're now out of the whole stephen king era part two part three maybe i mean for for films anyway this is definitely like the second (laughs) run i think the first run was the 1980s where you get the shining you get Firestarter, cat's eye Mm-hmm. Silver, Bo- everything, you get everything in that decade. And then it, the first installment of it that Andy Muschietti directed kicked off another run where you got a new a- adaptation of Pet Cemetery and Firestar, basically everything I just said a second mm-hmm. ago. And then the 90s, it's all not really horror. You get TV. You will get TV miniseries that are based on the Stephen King books. And then the big screen seems to be reserved for the more serious Even keeled, well measured adult drama. Yeah, Stephen King properties like Dolores Claiborne and The Green Mile, Shawshank Shawshank Redemption. Yeah,
2: Yeah. Hearts in Atlantis, Mm -hmm. all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, I think I think two reasons why Silver Bullet hasn't gotten a remake. One, because the novella is so sparse, like the writers are going to have to do more work to come up with a script. Uh, they can't just you know like like all these other Stephen King books that are like 600 pages they can't just cut the fat out uh they're going to have to make more from scratch but also uh for whatever reason and i have my theories uh werewolf movies are just mm-hmm. not very popular yeah people yeah. people don't go out for werewolf movies i don't understand well i I understand why the vampire is more popular than the werewolf because a vampire is a character in itself. Like the vampire is sentient. You can, you've got more versatility. You can do a movie where the vampire is the character. You can explore what that's like and he can have a personality or you can go where the vampire is just the threat, you know, but even then they're like a character in the movie. They talk, they have motivations, all that shit.
1: And you have the the fact that they're also slick right and the sexuality of it and like the whole you know being able to control you with yeah whatever look or whatever and all that
2: yeah the vamp the the vampire is uh sexier if that's your type ladies (laughs) uh but with the werewolf even if so there's two types of werewolf movies there's the werewolf as protagonist and the werewolf as antagonist werewolf as protagonist the problem with those movies is they're all basically just remakes of the Wolfman. Uh, it's a very formulaic plot. It's You have main character who's pretty generic, who you wouldn't be interested in if they weren't about to become a werewolf. Uh, they get bitten. Uh, they have a couple days where it's like, oh, I, I feel really good. Oh, oh, I'm standing up for myself. Uh, you know, all that shit. Then the first full the moon Spider-Man, happens.
1: Spider-Man Spider-Man effect.
2: Yeah, basically. The first yeah. full moon happens. They wolf out. Uh, then they're in the aftermath. They realize what they've done, what they are. They consider killing themselves. They don't. They wolf out again. Someone close to them kills them the end. Uh and that's, you know, that's been done to death. We don't need to see it anymore. And then you have, like Silver Bullet, you have the werewolf as the antagonist. The werewolf is the 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 werewolf is the problem and is the thing that is out there coming after you and I think uh, I think that's more effective I think that's in a lot of ways easier to write and make interesting, um, but I've noticed especially in recent years people and, and this is kind of this is a lot of horror in general but with werewolves no one will take the subject matter seriously it has to be a comedy. It has to be tongue-in-cheek. Even American Werewolf in London is a comedy, uh, as much as the werewolf parts are great in it. But, like, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, uh, this new, like, Hulu movie, like The Werewolf Within that I haven't seen. But, yeah, it just looks like a fucking shitty comedy with a werewolf in it.
0: The Wolf of Snow Hollow was such a disappointment for me because I really enjoy Jim Cummings as an actor and director. Mm -hmm. And I... Dug the whole okay. It's winter time, and we're investigating a potential werewolf. Mm-hmm. And I was on board for that. And the undoing of that in the last twenty minutes didn't it didn't it didn't stick the landing for me, and mm-hmm. it soured me to the rest of the movie, which I was generally going with. And I like yeah. the fact that they cast Jimmy Tatro in that movie. I think Jimmy Tatro was a very underrated comedic. Talent, but yeah, no, that was not um, not one that left me feeling content as a viewer.
1: Mm. Well, I was going to say exactly that. That I think the last big um, budget uh, Wolfman movie that came out was that bomb with uh, Benicio del and Anthony Hopkins, right? That lost a bunch of money. The Wolfman, uh, which has a great looking Wolfman in that yeah. movie. <clears throat>
2: It's such a waste. Um, And I mean, like, that that movie was in, like, production hell for so long. Mm -hmm. By the time it came out, like, you knew it was going to suck. Yeah. Um, And wasn't
1: that part of that uh, new universal monster universe that died horribly? Was that part of it? No, here's
0: what happened. They did that movie first. All right. And then many years after, they tried it again with the mummy. No, no, no. Here's, Here's really the order of it. They did the wolfman, and that wolfman... Is like a cool modern upgrade of the Lon Chaney Wolfman of the 40s. The movie itself is kind of hit and miss, I think, but the, the design there is fantastic. Flopped. Total flop. Yeah. What was that? 2009, 2011? 2010. Yeah. yeah. 2015 or 2014, they do Dracula Untold with Luke Evans. And that is supposed to be like a soft start of the dark universe. That was also a big flop. No one cared about that because, you know, what what is untold here? It's a bunch of made up shit that was never in Bram Stoker's book. It,
1: nobody cares about that. Was and they, I think they trying to make him like Vlad the Impaler type yeah. of character where he was probably like a wolf, yeah, warrior
2: well, from, from the tra- from the trailer that I saw is it basically looked like like, yeah, it was like Vlad the Impaler, the biopic, but we're going to make him a real vampire and he's a hero. Right. Well, that's a yeah. that's
0: big thing they love to do with these movies is, let's not treat them as a villain. Yeah. Let's turn them into a superhero. And then we have a shared universe, and it's Marvel Pictures. Yeah. So they tried that, failed. Then they go, you know what? Let's reach deep into our pockets and pull out some heavy wads of cash. We're going to get Tom Cruise, and it's going to be the mummy. And they couldn't even get that right. They said, all right, we're going to do a sexy mummy and it's going to be an action film. Okay, another flop. Another big flop. And I don't even think they had a Wolfman involved in that lineup. They had Russell Crowe as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They had Johnny Depp as the Invisible Man. And they I think they had one other person in the mix in that photo shoot as well.
2: It was uh, Javier Bardem. He was going to be, I think, Jekyll and Hyde maybe?
0: that was russell crowe and he was in yeah. the the mummy movie
2: yeah that's right that's right no javier bardem i guess he was going to be what's in the he, invisible man was he going to be the wolf no uh, no, no uh, it was johnny depp was he going to be the wolfman or uh
0: back-to-back latin wolfman i fan, don't know
2: phantom of the opera maybe i don't know Ooh. but i know i know he was in it but i don't i don't remember who
1: uh, Cos- frankenstein monster oh okay which makes sense because he's got a big head okay yeah yeah <laughs> so can, I, I could see that yeah, yeah i guess he could be that.
2: frankenstein but uh well and then there was talk about that there's still that there's still whispers going around about the ryan gosling wolfman movie which you know oh finally yes. he finally he would literally be me um <laughs>
0: that's we'll right see if, I, we'll see if that I'm ever happens very looking forward to that if it does happen because not just is it ryan gosling as the lead you have derek in france Yes, directing that. And that's a very serious, real director there. That's mm-hmm. too almost too good of a director to be doing uni- potentially universal schlock, you know? Yeah. So I would be very interested to see that. De- Derek Sanfran did some of the best films to come out of the last 20 years. He did Blue Valentine, Place, yeah, Beyond, the Pines. Place Beyond the Pines. His HBO show, I Know This Much Is True, is Fantastic, And I cannot stomach Mark Ruffalo, let alone two Mark Ruffalos, but that that show was so great and one of the best pieces of cinematic entertainment to come out of the COVID era. So I would recommend that show to anybody. And the thought of him doing a big commercial Wolfman movie seems insane, but I'm all for it.
2: I don't know if it was meant to be... I don't know if it's meant to be like a huge blockbuster or if they were trying to do like more of like an a24 style kind of like the that invisible man with the chick from uh handmaid's tale Uh, yeah uh i don't know if they were going for that angle i mean i definitely i feel like that guy's direct director style directorial style is more suited toward that um like a more a more intimate psychological uh kind of movie i think that would be better um well, that Invisible
0: Man movie was supposed to kick off their newest attempt. It was going yeah. to be a, a more low-key, uh, pass it, trying to pull off this dark universe again. And that one seemed to take with audiences. That one seemed to be critically well-received. I don't think we ever covered it on this show, but we definitely talked about it. I feel like neither one of us enjoyed that movie, did we, Hans?
1: The Elizabeth Moss. So, Invisi- oh, uh, yeah, we yeah, did. one House. I think it was. I hated that movie, <laughs> but it was stupid. But it was which, so stupid. Which sucks. I think The Invisible
0: Man, the movie itself, is probably my favorite of the universal monsters. I really like the concept of... It's essentially The Lodger. I don't mm-hmm. know if you either of you ever saw the Alfred Hitchcock 1920s silent film, The Lodger, but it, it plays out like that, but with The Invisible Man. And I always liked that concept. I always liked how low stakes and small and like gossipy that movie was. And they always try to up the ante, whether it's Hollow Man or That Invisible Man. or whatever. And I don't know. I, I think keeping it simple and weird and mysterious is definitely more the way to go. It kind of reminds me of Wreck, the first zombie movie. Uh, in that series in Spain, where you just have someone living in the attic doing experiments, like you can handle it like that. I think it yeah. would play
1: very well and very creepy before they went all in with religion in that series that ended up just turning that it was into, goofy.
0: yeah, that was a little goofy. Uh, look, I, I enjoyed the whole Catholicism in possession and hey it 's not just zombies it's demons. That I think sets it apart in the first movie. But then in the second movie, when it's full on a religious war, basically, yeah. I you lost me. You didn't need to continue going on in the building with the same characters. Yeah. It's just you don't need to do that. That's always the big mistake: is we don't need to follow the characters. Just take the concept and apply it somewhere else. But that's
1: neither here nor there. They made four, I think, right. Mm-hmm. And then in the states, they it with quarantine, quarantine. With the, the Dexter sister. And what yeah. was there at quarantine too? Mm-hmm.
0: And it was yeah. direct to video and it took place on an airplane.
1: Nice. So zombies in an airplane.
0: Yeah, that's not the worst concept, but like give, yeah. give, give it a budget at least. It looked very we rented this warehouse out and put in some airplanes. It's like when you see those reenactment videos of a black guy slapping a white woman, because she's not wearing a mask or something, and then they turned to the camera at the end of the video and was like, this was a reenactment. But please sound off in the comments. Tell us who was right and who was wrong.
1: They use those influencer sets that they rent so they can take pictures in a plane, but it's not a plane, it's just a hollowed out
0: set. Yeah, the seats don't look quite right. There's not seat belts attached to them, you know, so. Anyway, all this to say, I can't wait for Mike Flanagan's Silver Bullet coming to Netflix. (laughs) It's you know the, the way that the book is set up. You could easily do it as a series, and I don't think they're above making up material for the series. So I I, would, I I feel like it's a matter of time before that happens, and it probably will fall into Mike Flanagan's lap.
2: I would love, I would love that if you get if you put it in. I I don't like the idea of Mike Flanagan doing it, yeah. but if you get if you gave it to the right person. Yeah, the idea of each episode is basically a different protagonist, and you're kind of introduced to a lot of these characters throughout the series, but like, you're basically given an episode to like get invested in this person, you fall in love with them, you care about what they care about in life, and then you just watch them get savagely ripped apart by a fucking werewolf in the last ten minutes of the episode.
0: These victims have a lot going on in their personal lives, too, yeah. especially that first one where... Small you have this, drama. this this woman who's just been rejected by her fuck buddy, boyfriend. I don't know. Yeah. She's got a picture of him in her home and he's mm-hmm. like, that ain't my baby. Just remember <laughs> the good times. So then he, he leaves and she's going to kill herself and the kid. Yeah. And she's narrating along like, well, suicides don't go to heaven, especially if they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then the werewolf dismantles her.
1: He's like, I'll help. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, well, so that's, so that's one of the one of the things I love about that kill because that's the second kill in the movie, mm-hmm. and first kill is at the type of the, top of the film. The werewolf, uh, he knocks a dude's head off. Um, so and it's a James Gammon, like very very popular like eighties western character actor. Uh, so from the jump, you know, okay, not only is it a werewolf that's scary enough, but like. This this thing's strong as shit. Mm-hmm. Like this this is a force to be reckoned with. The second kill, when he comes after this woman, he climbs up to her bedroom window and jumps through the window. So you're not safe indoors. This isn't this isn't like, oh, as long as I don't go out at night and wander through the woods, the werewolf right. won't get me. It's like, nah, the werewolf's walking through your neighborhood at night and if yeah, if he sees a light on you in your window, you're up watching fucking night court, he's gonna jump in and yeah, like rip your throat out. But also that, that murder is so, this is what I like about the, this is what I like about when a werewolf is done right is a werewolf is not just an animal. Like if it were just an animal, it would have just bitten her neck and like, you know, eaten a little bit and left. It would have been quick, but this thing wants to hurt you. Hmm. It has, it has the, it has the instincts of an animal. It has the speed and the strength and the claws but it has the hate and the cruelty and the wickedness of a human being. And that, that is what's truly terrifying about it. Cause yeah, it just, it's just ripping. It's just sinking its claws into this poor woman's soft flesh and just dragging it down and like ripping her skin before it finally kills her.
1: I see some mom shouts from the floor below. <laughs> mm hmm. <laughs> like yeah, what's going on? What's she, happening?
2: Search searching for the gun and the in the shiffaroe yeah. or wherever she's got it in.
0: I forgot about that first victim that they opened the movie with in the in the head. I watched so I've seen this movie so many times. I have a VHS of it that I picked up uh, many, many years ago. It's in very good condition. It's my only copy of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I found an archive.org link of basically it's like a movie of the week. And I was surprised to learn it's a Massachusetts TV thirty-eight uh, 1988 broadcast of the film and they left in all the gore and I was kind of surprised by that I was like oh cool neat and then we'd get a trailer to Child's Play coming to theaters this Thursday um, and it, it was just this cool little thing and then they had a Joe Bob style guy but he was not like putting any effort in he didn't ghoul it up you know he wasn't uh, Svengoolie or Elvira he was just like a middle-aged white guy in a red and white polo like so this movie came out in 1985. Like he had no charisma at all, mm. which I appreciated. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I forgot that they do open the movie with the the head, and then the suicidal woman is killed, and then you get the burly alcoholic yeah. who's like all these cripples they should be euthanized. <laughs> he, he's just
1: very yeah. against the handicap. I was cracking up at that. Was, it the, was that goes, it the one that goes? The one that goes? You want to get my ass? I'll get your ass. I'll get your ass. I'll get it. Your ass. I'll get your ass. But he says that like five yeah. times whilst he's getting his gun ready.
2: Yeah, he says <laughs> if you bust up my pots, I'm gonna bust up your ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's just... th- that's another thing. It's a, a nice nice little Stephen King touch, is that every other character in this movie is a fucking raging alcoholic. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I was surprised by the gore, to be honest. I don't I didn't um look up what the rating was before i started watching the movie and i was surprised to see that it was an r uh after the first fuck, i was like wait a second i thought this was gonna be like a pg or the pg-13 movie i i don't know why i guess maybe from the poster i thought it would be like maybe a little bit corny 80s uh but then after the i think it's one of the kids that that says the f word and then you see those deaths and i was like oh shit! okay they're actually showing gore in this um i was really surprised uh, by that but uh yeah i thought it was very effective and i really liked uh whenever you you saw the um werewolves like the a church scene where everyone starts turning into a werewolf looked really cool the the effects and then at the end when when the priest is turning back into human i thought those uh effects look really cool even though uh what uh What's his name? De Laurentiis. Do you know De producer. Laurentiis. Yeah, he hated the werewolf apparently and he asked them to be changed, which is why I think one of the directors quit or something. Or, or Don someone... Coscarelli quit over that? Yeah, I think so. I think that's what I read. Um, oh,
2: Yeah, he uh so Don Coscarelli, he shot because they were they were there was dispute over how the werewolf looked. And so Don Coscarelli, he shot all of the non-werewolf scenes. Like he, sh- he shot all the scenes with no werewolf and then they still hadn't come to a decision. And so he was like, okay, fuck this. I'm not doing this. I'm out. And then, uh, Dan, uh, Attius, I guess that's how you pronounce it. He came in, uh, and he and Stephen King were, they were, they were firm on the werewolf design. And at that point it was like, okay, well we either need to finish the movie as is, or just scrap everything we've done. And so Dino caved. And like, I don't think the werewolf looks bad. I mean, his, his complaint was that it looks, it kind of looks like a black bear, uh, mm. which I can, I kind of get like, it's not, mm. it's not the best looking werewolf, but, uh, I think I, I, I think it's still scary looking because its body still looks so human and it just has like a wolf head and I, that's so jarring
1: there's also a lot of camera tricks to not show the whole thing until close mm-hmm. to the end right so that that also adds to the creepy factor cuz you only see like his hands or, yeah. or mouth or face uh i think the first time that we see uh more of the body is on the um bridge scene when mm-hmm. cripple boy shoots him with the fireworks but before that you don't really see the whole monster you just see you know him murdering
2: mm-hmm. Well, and another great, another ballsy thing that they do is the fourth kill in this movie, he kills a goddamn kid. And yes, like, Brady's,
0: so you, Brady's death, I think, yeah. is the creepiest. Yes. Because you just see that bloody kite being dragged back. They just have him staying at the park a little too late, like, oh, yeah, I'll catch up. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you know, it's... I think it's Terry O'Quinn. Terry Quinn, yeah. The stepfather, and also, I forget what his character name was yeah. on
2: Lost. John Locke.
0: Yeah, John Locke dragging back Brady's kite covered in blood. It's very Watchmen, very, you know, uh, the comedian's pin covered in blood. It has that sort of look to it. And uh, yeah, that one has always stuck with me since mm-hmm. the first time I watched it. And I love that the course of action from that is then we're going to create a mob and we're going to go out and we're going to find who did this. Yeah. And the werewolf just fucking mows down everybody, <laughs> inclu- including, including <laughs> Lawrence Tierney yes. in this movie, who's great in the limited role with the peacemaker bat mm-hmm. and how he dies is getting belted with the peacemaker bat from
1: that werewolf, which is just a very funny uh, visual comedy. I thought, yeah, well, yeah, then- there's, There's no plan at all, right? It's just let's go get him. Let's go Mm -hmm. into the swamp. And yeah, hopefully he'll show up in front of us and he just starts picking them off.
2: Well, yeah, you've got you got Lawrence Tierney, you got uh Michael Mann, veteran, uh, Bill Smitrovich as uh Andy Faridon, like the the malcontent in town. Um, (laughs) who else? Who else is that? The uh, Brady's dad, Kent Broadhurst, is the guy's name. That guy gives such he's in like two scenes he gives such like a very sincere and like incredibly unhinged performance as this grieving father who like finds his son who's been mutilated you know and Mm -hmm. torn apart like he's it's 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 so good that speech he gives in the bar like right before everybody goes out uh in their lynch mob is uh like it's still it's like chilling
0: yeah, and it all fails. It all they yes. they flounder so hard in mm-hmm. nailing the werewolf. I like the fact that it's kind of out of nowhere with this movie. Who the werewolf winds up being? Because I know during my first handful of watches, um, or rather my first watch, and then I guess in retrospect, looking back, it's not clear. That you're going to wind up with the Everett McGill character being the werewolf. You would think it's either going to be, you know, I I don't really know actually what what you would anticipate. I guess somebody more relevant to the plot, yeah. To the plot. They yeah. don't
2: treat it like a who done it really, but there's one kind of a throwaway line where you could where you could kind of see that they're setting it up to make you think it's Uncle Red mm-hmm. because like he's he's already he's this you know, he's, he's this loud character. He's kind of lovable, but he's also, he's kind of dangerous. Like he's, when we first see him, he's like getting drunk and like, he's having fun. Like he's being nice, but he's like yelling at his nephew over this card game that they're having. And so you're like, okay, this guy's a loose cannon, but also the mom has that line where she's like, you blow through here once a month and you tell a few jokes. And it's like once a month, what else happens once a month, the full moon, Mm. you know? So maybe maybe this guy comes to town once a month to do his killing. But that's really the only the only kind of line like that.
0: Yeah, they drop little elements of the town here and there to make you think, okay, this is just normal that we're going to pick up with the the preacher character. This isn't anything out of the norm. And then they throw you off a little bit with the nightmare sequence that Hans you mentioned earlier where they show the members of the uh of the church turning into werewolves one after another. It doesn't quite make it obvious that he's the werewolf, but of course that's what we find out shortly thereafter. And it's not just going to be some random town member or somebody who you you're never introduced to in the the plot of the film. As a matter of fact, we might even open with the the preacher when they do the um Uh, there's like a fair or something, a festival that's occurring, and I believe he's given a speech. So he's very quickly introduced to us, but you don't think anything of it. You kind of disregard it and get right into, okay, well, we have Jane doing the the narration, which kind of sounds like Marty uh, died or something, the way that that it ends. It's it's a little confusing uh, what the purpose of it is. And I'm not sure if we actually need it. I don't mind it. It kind of gives it a nice little homey, Hallmarky feel or yeah. something. But it fits for what the movie is. When you do get the reveal that it is the, the preacher and his character transforms into somebody who's sympathetic initially into, oh, no, he's bad. He's really bad. He's yeah. evil. He wants to kill this boy. Um, and he's probably going to take a good amount of pleasure in it um it's it's this very wild turn that happens in the third act
1: that's one of the morbid things i don't think we've mentioned right the boy starts writing riddler-like letters to the priest to tell him to kill himself (laughs) (laughs) it's It's very 4chan behavior it's very great that's a great moment it's not you don't really expect it from this sweet boy as in a wheelchair and then he's just writing letters the priest telling him to kill himself because he's a danger to the town
2: but yeah i mean what else is he supposed to do he's that's (laughs) you know he's a kid in a wheelchair which that's so that's so smart the way they they use that in the movie because it's in the book but I think I think part of this movie's like charm and part of its strength is that r- is the range that you have cuz yeah you have these scenes between Marty and Jane that almost feel kind of like Disney Channel like mm-hmm. there there's like a lot of heart there's a lot of tenderness they have that the Jay Chataway score which half the movie is like very like almost kind of saccharine and sweet and then when the werewolf shows up it's one of the mm. e- it's one of the eeriest fucking yeah. scores I've ever heard It's so effective and scary. Um, But then, you know, you'll have scenes with the two of them, and you're like, okay, this kid's so vulnerable, he's so nice, and he's in a wheelchair. There's literally no one more vulnerable to a werewolf than this kid. How the hell is he going to get out of this?
0: Did you have something? I thought you were going to say something there, Hans. I I, I, I did want to say... There's a good amount of tension brought with that bridge scene and oh, yeah. him getting caught in the the little shed that's there and being approached by the reverend and just so happening happening to get out of it in the nick of time because it's just some landscape like there's just a groundskeeper going by on a on on, on some tractor mm-hmm. by chance and you know as luck would have it I like how they also stage the investigation that jane holds immediately following where she's collecting cans and uses that as an opportunity to get up close and personal with a lot of the would-be suspects in the town mm-hmm.
1: and no one gives her anything not even they just look at her suspicious Yeah, you know, there's so many
0: rude older men
2: yeah well, <laughs> well it's because to... they've had like half their friends have been yeah. Tortured, <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> Like yeah they're everyone's a little out of sorts. But like, that's, that's one of the cool things. And in a way they, they sort of play with the werewolf rules. They sort of tweak the mythos, but they don't make a big deal out of it. Whereas it starts out where, yeah, it's on the full moon, he kills, but then he starts killing when it's not the full moon. And Marty, Marty has that line, like Marty and Jane have that line where it's like, well, maybe he's like this all the time now. And just as the moon gets fuller, he becomes more of the monster and I think that is part of what to where like it's basically taking him over the longer the movie goes so even during the daylight the reverend character it's the wolf that's really driving him and that's why you get that scene where he's you know he's going after Marty in the car and he's like following him on the bridge you know to where it's like it's not just the thing that happens to him when the moon is full is like you get the sense that if the movie kept going and if he didn't get shot with a silver bullet he'd basically just become a killer in the daylight
1: no the the silver bullet aspect too I thought that was that was uh, I was expecting I'm gonna be honest I was expecting a lot more corny stuff because Stephen King right usually when you get a Stephen King uh movie a lot of the dialogue between non-main characters is usually pretty horrible well even between a,
0: main characters it's pretty yeah. atrocious like it's, for example in the shining 1997 jack torrance has this catchphrase that he loves to drop with his family he says it about nine times he says kissing kissing that's what i've been
1: missing <laughs> right oh boy but <laughs> but you don't really get a lot of that here i feel like um Like Wolfman said, like a lot of the the times it kind of feels like a safe kids movie that you would expect in like a Disney Channel type of thing. But then as soon as there's any type of violence, it turns it up to 100 quickly. So it's I, I don't know if I agree with the fact that they might remake this just because other than wolfman i don't think I've, and because i i'm pretty sure you mentioned it on, an, on another episode that, that we had you in here this movie i never heard of it before that that time mm-hmm. uh so it's definitely not a property that i think most people are even familiar with um but also i i, I don't know like you said the revival of of trying to remake everything stephen king is probably dead by now with that new pet cemetery movie that they just came out was like a prequel i think or something like that uh and also the fact that yeah werewolf movies for whatever reason they they seem to never get them right unless you try to make like an indie you know what's one that came out a couple of years ago wolf cop right that was that was one of those you know
2: Hans, this might be from an episode from a while back, but weren't you and this may have this may have been a joke, as might have been breaking your balls, but didn't you like that werewolf by night movie?
1: Oh yeah. Well the 10 minutes of it that I saw. Yeah. I thought oh, that okay. Was cool. All right. Yeah, yeah I, I never, never I, I never, never saw it, that. so I don't
2: know if it's any good.
1: I never finished it, but uh yeah. Hold I... on, you didn't finish the 10 minute movie Werewolf by Night? Isn't it like a minutes? I think I only saw like 10. Whatever I, I it saw was it... one of
0: those marvel halloween one night only showcases i think and it it i don't know it, it it managed to kill the concept for me with you know even though they were trying to do a stylized thing it was still all green screen or something like that oh, i don't yeah. know it, there was a cheap element to it like all disney properties are leaning into these days
1: i think i started watching it before we recorded and then i just never got you back never to it. it um the last um werewolf movie that I remember seeing its entirety was probably Ginger Snaps. Jesus Canadian. Oh wow. Yeah, Ginger, snaps is, Ginger snaps is that's an overlooked one. That is straight up What is it, like ninety eight, two thousand three, something like that? Something um, like that. Yeah. Uh and I think they also came up with two sequels for that, if I'm not mistaken. Ginger snaps
0: back. That was a showtime ten PM classic. Those Ginger Snaps movies.
2: Did you guys, did you guys ever see Late Phases? Late Phases.
0: sounds very familiar to me. Was and that, that uh, was had, that, uh,
2: Nick, Nick DiMici, the red box Robert De Niro. He's the main Yes. Guy in
0: it. Yeah. He did Steakland, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that it. movie.
2: Yeah. It's uh he's like a blind Vietnam vet and his son, uh, Ethan Embry, uh, they dug him up, you know, for something, uh, his son puts him in this retirement community and uh and so he moves in but like this this retirement community uh one of the members is a werewolf and so this blind vietnam vet has to figure out how to like kill the werewolf and it's like it's pretty low budget but it's not bad for what it is
0: late phases belongs to a string of movies that i think were kicked off with house of the devil Mm -hmm. where you had it was essentially maybe about 2009 to 2015 where you had all of these $1 million, $2 million budget horror movies that were released via video on demand when it was this fresh up-and-coming thing. I think of movies like Starry Eyes yeah. with mm. a- the lead actress's name is Alex Esso, and she plays Wendy Torrance in Doctor Sleep. That was her fate at the oh, end of the day. Okay. Um, and there's tons of movies that fall into that criteria of feeling like the next step up from mumblecore. Mm. Like actual horror fans doing it, but with doing it, doing it through the same means that a lot of the mumblecore directors like Joe Swanberg approached their, probably their later films with and did it well and executed it well. Late Phases, man, I completely forgot about that movie, but I do remember enjoying it quite a bit and thinking it was one of the... More low key of that selection, but one of the the higher quality ones, and I like the fact that um, that actor you just cited his name plays older in the movie, which is not something you often see. He's probably the same age as Ethan Embry, but he does yes, play yes. his father in it. You know, yeah, probably. And it's a uh, I I enjoy when filmmakers and actors embrace the artifice of filmmaking and. Mm-hmm. Aren't so concerned with like breaking the the veneer with the viewer and just yeah. going, okay, this is a film, this is a piece of art, this is a piece of entertainment. Let's just lean into it. Yeah, if it's make believe. You... Exactly, and I think directors need to be less afraid of that.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I agree, and that's why they need to make more fucking werewolf movies.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh Well. Cycle, Cycle of the Werewolf, I think it's a, it's a pretty good Stephen King book. Silver Bullet, it's higher tier. Do you think the third act pays off, though? Because it goes by pretty quick. I noticed that we get the Silver Bullet 10 minutes from the conclusion, mm-hmm. and they wrap things up rapidly.
2: Well, so a buddy of mine, his one gripe about the movie, and it never occurred to me until he said it, And I wanted to know what you guys thought about it because I think it's interesting. He says the movie needed to end, like the silver bullet that kills the werewolf needed to be the motorized wheelchair. Hmm. Like, I don't don't know how you do that. I don't know if you have like Marty, like kamikaze it or like jump off at the last minute and like, you know, impale the werewolf somehow. But basically his, his wheelchair, the silver bullet needed to be, needed to be used
1: yeah more of a factor with the ending or the way that they kill him yeah so the name is just not yeah instead of
2: a literal silver bullet
1: damn
0: i do like the idea of him dying like the green goblin (laughs) that would have been that would have been fun if
2: if marty like dies to save jane you know after after all the movie of him being kind of like a pest you know for her uh and yeah, in the end, it's him like sacrificing himself to save her from the werewolf. And it would it would make that narration make more sense because you're right. Like the way she speaks, especially in that end scene where she's like, I love you, too, Marty. Good night. Yeah. It sounds like he is dead. It sounds like he died mm-hmm. at some point before the narration began.
0: Yeah, uh, I don't mind the ending as it currently is. It kind of feels like uh like a like a slumber party from your youth or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And you have the Gary Busey character being this reluctant hero trying to kill the werewolf, and I don't even think he does at the end. Who who, who no. fires the Mar- gun? Marty does. Marty. Marty does. Okay.
1: Yeah, he gets thrown against the wall a couple of times. Uh, Gary Busey. Yeah, he does. Uh, and I was
0: just thinking the entire time for someone who doesn't believe it, he sure is dishing out a, what's probably a lot of money to just go through with this night. Like he gifts his sister and her husband a trip to New York to go through with this. Um, You know, and I I don't know. It's a lot of effort for him to just be like, yeah, why don't we all just go to sleep right when, right right when someone does see the werewolf. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Right. As the werewolf uh, Kool-Aid man through the door, uh, (laughs) trying to get them and then punches him through the wall. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I did feel like that was, Maybe they could have gone harder with that because I feel like they they didn't care much about being sensitive with the way that everyone else was killed. So maybe kill one of them at the end would mm. would make it a little a little less family friendly, I guess. But I I honestly didn't mind. Um, I I did see. Uh, that one of the illustrations is uh, from the book is Marty shooting the werewolf in the face mm-hmm. with a bullet. So I guess keep, keeping that element from the book works. But now that you mention it, yeah, the, the bike, I feel like it should have been more of a factor throughout the movie, other than just sharing the name with the movie.
2: Mm hmm.
0: Well, depending on if that future director listens to this show, just like Todd Phillips listened to my suggestion that the Joker sequel should be a musical and the remake of Silver Bullet that way, that would be a much more satisfying and cooler conclusion. Um, All right, so where where does this land for you, Hans? Because obviously, Wolfman, this was your selection. You're speaking uh, of this movie with great adoration. I personally quite enjoy this movie a lot. Where does this fall for you, Hans? You're you're probably the toughest critic on no, this I, panel here.
1: I think it was right up my alley, like right, what I enjoy about '80s movies, where uh, uh, practical effects, um, creepy, and not afraid of uh, showing the killing <laughs> instead of taking the you know corny way out of maybe doing it off camera or or doing it in a more comical way. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than I I thought I would. And it's probably because of that, because I thought that I was going to get a a safer uh, PG, maybe 80s movie. And instead, right from the start, like that, the notion of of that was destroyed immediately by the dialogue, the curses, and then the ruthlessness of the deaths that were shown at the beginning. So I I enjoyed myself a lot more than I, I thought I would uh honestly so that uh when it comes to Stephen King movies, um maybe not as good as uh uh Dreamcatcher, but uh <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Your favorite Dreamcatcher. Uh no, no, it's it's right up there. I'm not a huge fan of uh of him, uh mostly because of his persona. Like I'm not a huge fan of him as a person, but mm. uh, I enjoyed his this um a lot more than than I thought I would. Um Maybe because I'm used to Wolfman movies being, like Wolfman said, either comedic or just not taken seriously enough to to make them creepy. But uh, yeah, this was right up my alley.
0: I do think that this is one of the shining examples of movies from the 1980s that does jump in and out of let's gear this towards a young audience and let's gear this towards who is probably showing up to the R-rated movie this week, or who is escorting them to the R-rated movie this week. And there seemed to be far less apprehension up until about 93 or 94, I want to say, with exposing children to pretty scary stuff in in movies and television. Mm-hmm. They really seemed to go hard in the paint for that up until about the mid-90s. Even Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps had some pretty Mm. disturbing visual stuff or things that would be disturbing for an eight-year-old or seven-year-old. And then everything after that is just fluff. Like adults can't even handle the prospect of a dog dying in the Predator (laughs) reboot with a Native American girl. So Mm. that's where we're at currently. Um, Yeah, and I, I, I think this movie is fantastic. I think it's a great 80s movie. One of the best Corey Haim films? Oh, yeah. I think we can probably all agree on that one. I hope he didn't get raped on this movie. <laughs> um,
2: well, I mean, he couldn't get away. He was crippled. No yeah.
1: no. <laughs> he didn't feel it. Yeah, he was in a wheelchair. Yeah.
2: Okay. Why so did you,
0: Uncle Red think... really send those parents out of town? That's what
2: I'm wondering. No, not Uncle Red. No, don't, don't, you so. <laughs> don't you dare! Don't you dare!
0: no clearly he had a taste for the ladies exclusively so much so it broke up three marriages you know Mm -hmm. so and then he's waking up with some slut in one scene she's like what are you doing he's like i'm on the phone shut up Mm -hmm. bitch you know so yeah no (laughs) i i uh i think he's as innocent as uh, but that everett mcgill preacher clearly not clearly a very nefarious fellow that guy
2: Mm mm-hmm now, where do you think where do you think this measures up compared to Lost Boys, Corey Hames' vampire film?
0: Damn, we might be talking about Lost Boys in the next week or two yeah, to sure. to cap it under our Halloween deadline here, because Hans has never seen Lost Boys. Never seen it. I, oh, man, it's a hoot. I love the Lost Boys. I feel privileged to have been featured in a film with Corey Feldman this
1: year. Oh no! Shit. Yes, his great out of
0: retirement movie. Except he's been working like every year, right? Hans, you pulled that yeah. up. Yeah. The comeback
1: know. kid music video. You're gonna see uh, low res there dancing. It's gonna in the be me and Sean
0: Astin, who also <laughs> needs a paycheck.
2: All right.
0: Uh, it's a it's a movie called the Three Two Pull Down, and they offered me the lead in it at first. And I had to. And they were very generous with the money that they offered, and I had to say no because I've been doing Omega Fish Corp and. Yeah, I don't know, but I they gave me a little cameo in there instead. And I did not get to see him, but I got to see him act and uh, Hans has also seen some of his scenes in the movie. So, look yeah. forward to that in 2024. Lost Boys wins for me out of the two movies though. Lost yeah. Boys I, I it's just it's top 5 1980s teen teen entertainment. Yeah, May, I love it, it maybe top 3, I don't know. It's yeah. really up there.
2: Well, I think it's a good vampire flick too. Like just on on its own merits and a, a great Schumacher movie.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I have to watch his Phantom of the Opera soon. I was watching the 1925 Phantom of the Opera mm-hmm. last night, and what a snooze! I yeah. took a, I took a big nap So I don't know. Maybe uh, who was the Phantom in the the Schumacher one? Was it Gerard? Gerard Butler. Butler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see how that turns out I have a feeling that one's going to suck but we'll we'll see did you ever see the the Lost Boys sequels Detective Wolfman uh
2: I think I caught uh I caught some of that first one that they did uh and and like I I knew going into it it wasn't going to be good but it was it was so low a level of production that I turned it off Uh, the one with
0: Angus Sutherland
2: yes yeah yeah I couldn't I couldn't get through it I couldn't do it to myself uh, that so was, no, I never, I never, I never dove in.
0: No, you got to skip that one. The th- and go back for the third one, the okay. Lost Boys, the because th- then they had a little bit more of a budget, and they were like, "All right, Corey, you want to star? We'll let you star." And it's a Corey Feldman starring Lost Boys sequel where he's like hunting vampire DJs or something, <clears throat> and they bring back Jameson Newlander who's the other frog brother. Yeah, they did not have Corey Haim at that point because I think he died. Unfortunately. Yeah. And they just bring him back through clips. He popped up in the second one though at the very end. I think there's a there's a little Easter egg post credits. Hey, here's Corey Haim walking out and talking to I think it was Corey Feldman, mm-hmm. and he's a vampire who has since turned. So
2: Man, if they if they really want to cash in on the like Fangoria fanboy money, there's still time. They need to do a crossover where the frog brothers and Rudy from monster squad team up and go on a monster hunt.
0: Oh, I thought you, you were talking about Rudy, the football player that no, Sean Astin No,
2: played. Oh, but that could work too. Maybe. All right. Maybe we bring in two Rudys. We bring in Rudy, the football player. So we got Sean Astin and yeah, Rudy from monster squad.
0: Perfect. And then you don't even need a Goonies sequel. I think if you got all them together.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's been, yeah, basically serves the same function. Hmm. Maybe Are the you, villain the villain could be Will Wheaton, so you could tie in like a stand by me uh kind of uh kind of angle.
0: Well, he's a real life villain. I wouldn't yes, I don't know no,
2: that's why it'd be perfect. Yeah.
0: That beard. That mm. beard is pretty grotesque. I don't know. It'd be very off putting to see even over like fifty year old Corey Feldman and how he is. He got I don't know how he did it. He got a spread in Interview Magazine this past month where he got an interview and they asked him you know, what, what is your fashion style here based on? And he said, Michael Jackson. Yeah. So
2: yeah, it's, it's been, it's been that way since like 87. Yeah. <laughs> he never moved past that like,
0: big surprise. Wow. The white glove and the tight leather and the little hat that's tipped down. Yeah. I couldn't have guessed that. That, what a yeah. great question to ask him.
2: Well, that's, that's crazy. Cause like, you know, a, a lot of people, most people kind of settle into their style like by the time they're in their like mid to late teens, you know, like you pretty much, I mean, yeah, fashion will change a little, but you pretty much dress the way you're going to dress the rest of your life. Like if you're preppy at that age, you're going to be preppy the rest of your life. If you're a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy, that's who you're going to be. Poor Corey Feldman and his deranged, (laughs) like druggy child actor uh, uh, malaise. He was dressing like Michael Jackson at that time and it stuck. He could never grow out of it.
1: To well, like that... or with Michael Jackson?
2: Oh. Who knows? <laughs> he knows. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's why they that's why they gave him an interview. He knows where too many of the bodies are buried.
0: <laughs> oh boy. All right. Silver Bullet. I think it's a quality flick. Uh check it out. It's a top-tier werewolf film, especially a late 20th-century werewolf film. Or really like the last. 35 years it's probably close to the cream of the crop what, what what outdoes silver bullet that succeeds silver bullet in terms of time
2: uh when you say outdoes you mean strictly a werewolf film yes uh overall i mean i think are there okay. any in the 90s uh there were a few but they were like i mean they were pretty rough I, I don't know if it was 90s or the early aughts but there was that terrible west craven cursed movie all oh, right um there was i mean yeah there was the ginger snaps movie that was okay for like a low budget deal um yeah they, they, there was one i can't remember the name of it it was like a pg-13 movie where like there were like these biker werewolves uh I don't know. There's the Underworld movies, if you count those that's vampires and werewolves. Um, But no, I mean, for just like a strict like werewolf horror movie, I think, I mean, this is one of the best. You know, the first Howling is pretty good. American Mm -hmm. Werewolf in London is good. But yeah, I mean, this one, this is probably my favorite werewolf movie.
0: Oh yeah, we also had American Werewolf in Paris.
2: Oh yeah, that dog shit.
0: Tom Everett Scott in 99 or so. I think mm-hmm. what was it the other guy from Saved by the Bell?
2: Uh no, 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 he, he no it was um,
0: I think that was Dead Man on Campus.
2: Yes, yeah, that's what mm-hmm. that was. Uh Yeah, no, uh yeah, he was hot off that thing you do and then they immediately torpedoed his career with American Werewolf in Paris.
0: Yeah, it's very slim pickings, I think, after that. They've just been...
2: I'm telling you, man, there's no love shun. for werewolves.
0: I don't know. I think the day of the werewolf has, has yet to come. That's that's my bold prediction here, because we're already maxed out on zombies. Like AMC is basically the zombie now. It's The Walking Dead nonstop, every single show on there. Yeah. Um, You know, we've done the vampire thing, and it's definitely bottomed out at this point. No one really seems interested in it anymore. Mm. Frankenstein, that's a little too specific. You know, they will try that every so often. I know there's like a Danny Boyle play where Johnny Lee Miller and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah, mm. yeah. They swapped off midway through the show playing Frankenstein and the monster. I thought that was a cool concept. that, That was the last interesting thing done. With mm-hmm. Frankenstein, I don't know there's yeah. there's really nothing else in, Invisible people they haven't gone back to Invisible Man yet, there's, and that was a success.
2: there's Penny Dreadful that kind of has all of them in there. If you guys mm-hmm. caught that, it's like uh it's such a trashy show,
1: yeah,
2: uh, but like it had it had moments that I really enjoyed, but it was like it was so uneven because there would be some episodes that were cool and you're like, okay, I think I can hang with this. And then there'd be another where it was just like the most God awful Reddit shit you'd ever seen. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a very, very mixed bag, but uh, nah, man. Uh, I, I think you're right. Lorez. I think the day of the werewolf is ahead of us. And uh, it might just be my werewolf movie that gets made
0: there you go what is it what what do you what what have we got cooking on on your werewolf movie
2: oh i can't really i can't really go (laughs) into it without like uh putting my identity at risk but uh i wrote one uh it exists but uh that's about as far as it's gone
0: okay so we'll keep our eyes peeled for keep keep your eyes peeled the anonymous detective wolfman movie to to come we'll just have to sniff it out i guess Awesome. Well, I do think if anything's going to kick it off in the immediate future, it'll probably be that Der- If they make that Derek Cianfrance, in France, Ryan Gosling, especially after Barbie now yeah. where he's really hot, that's going to that's gonna do it. That's going to set it over the edge. People are going to start going, can we make a wolf? Is that public domain? The wolf man? And I think it is public domain. It could be public domain. I'd have Probably to look at this point. I mean, Batman's going to be a public domain in the next 10 years or so. So I would have to imagine Wolfman at this point. is Is It, ba- it has to be based on a novel. Hans, let's do a quick search on it's this real no. quick. No. No, the nope.
2: w- Wolfman's just the Universal Monsters movie. Wow. Okay,
0: so that's the one that they have to their name. Everything else. And they're just sitting on it. Mm-hmm. That's remarkable.
2: I wish we could have, if we had gotten a Coppola Wolfman movie, when he did Dracula and produced Frankenstein, if we've gotten a little trilogy, then that could have been good. That could have been incredible, but alas, not in this world.
0: Alas, indeed. that Frankenstein movie was the most boring thing I ever watched as a child. I oh, thought, oh man, I, oh, I was—I think I was like six years old when I watched that. And I was like Frankenstein, and Robert De Niro is gonna be Frankenstein. Okay, let's let's sign up for this. And I got it on pay per view, and man that was that was rough going for a child i was like there's nothing scary or cool about this at all
2: have you watched it since you've become a man
0: no i haven't i would have to go back to it and (laughs) yeah you should revisit it let me know what you think any good all right I'll, i'll have to do that um all right we're gonna close out the show on that note detective wolfman thank you for coming back on the program i think did you come on earlier this year or is this the first time this year
2: I think this is my first time this year. It's my it's my third appearance, not counting when we got everybody together for Pope Greenwich Village.
0: That's right. We did Nope. Yeah. And what was the other movie we did? We
2: did The Keep before that. Nope mm-hmm. and The
0: Keep. That's right. Okay.
2: And I just saw Ferrari.
0: And Ferrari's terrific. Ferrari has a really stunning third act uh, okay. twist that I did not expect at all, which was gruesome. <laughs> and, and the whole theater was like, What? <laughs> what is happening so i don't know i don't know if you know anything about the history of ferrari but don't look into it if you want to go watch that movie
2: no i'll just see the movie
0: okay um all right well you know that invitation is legitimate for dr sleep i don't know if we we might i feel like that would be very appropriate to do for 300 hans what do you think i'm down Pretty all right that Piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Wolfman. If you want to come on for the next one for episode yeah. three hundred, it's Doctor Sleep. We're doing
2: it. Give me, give me a day and a time.
0: All right. It'll probably be. It'll either be this week or it'll be next week. All right. We'll, I know. We'll figure I, it out.
2: I know. I'm. I'm recording with uh, Glenn from Rare Candy on Thursday. But other than that, I'm pretty wide open.
0: Nice. Okay. All right. I'm heading to Massachusetts Friday, so. I don't know if Thursday is even going to be viable for me. I'm shooting a little more of Omega Fish Corp that day, so it's a tricky day anyhow. That's probably right off. On. So we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll get that in the can and look forward to that. Episode 300, Dr. Sleep again. Again. Uh, okay. All right, everybody. That has been Movies for this week. Thank you for listening.